I want to share a message with you uh, entitled, Let's Get Ready to Rumble. Uh, I have never been a fan. Well, okay, I confess. When I was a kid, I was a fan of wrestling. Not, you know, the high school wrestling that's the real wrestling. And there's common debate among boys and even men about the realness or the reality of what's called, quote-unquote, professional wrestling. Has anybody ever seen it before? Just out of curiosity. All right. <clears throat> it's a whole lot of nonsense uh, and a whole lot of ridiculousness. But when I was a kid, I watched, of course, when I was a kid, that was, I suppose, the early days of what we as kids at that point call wrestling. You know, it wasn't wrestling, it was wrestling. And, uh, but through the years, there was this one guy, this one announcer for it, who would come on and he had this just, he had just this awesome announcer voice. You know, these guys who just, I mean, they, they were made for, you know, speaking constantly and just, they, this guy, and he was the guy who would get into the microphone and he would say, let's get ready to rumble. Remember that guy? Anybody? Yeah, some of the ladies, you're like, yeah, I watched that. I like that. That was fun. I'm not going to say why you might have watched it, but. <clears throat> well, let's get ready to rumble. God told Jeremiah that he had to get ready. He had to prepare himself for what was ahead. Uh, Jeremiah would have, at the very beginning, he would have no idea. In fact, the earlier part of chapter 1, we're going to be at the end of chapter 1, but the earlier part of chapter 1, Jeremiah really tried to get out of the call of God on his life. God called him to be a prophet. He was actually raised in a priest's town, a town that was owned by uh, the, Levit the Levitical priesthood. He was probably part of a family that was of the Levites or uh, some of the priests. But God said, no, I don't want you to be a priest. I want you to be a prophet to this nation. Because this nation's going down the tubes and they need help and they need somebody to let them know the way that they're going is wrong, that the things that they're involved in is sin, and that if they don't turn and repent from what it is that they're doing, then I'm going to have to bring judgment on them. And we remember Jeremiah, how it was that he tried to get out of it. He said, Lord, I'm too young. I can't because, Lord, I'm, I'm clearly just a, I'm a, I'm a young boy. I'm not able to do this. He was maybe in his teens, maybe early 20s, but he felt he was too young. He said, I can't do this. I can't speak because nobody's going to listen to me. And finally, God shares with him and says, listen, don't, don't tell me that you're too young. I am able to equip you and help you. God was going to prepare him, but right now God is in the business, and, and here's what we, we're going to look at starting at verse 17. God is in the business of preparing Jeremiah for what it is that Jeremiah is going to have to carry out in his ministry. The Bible says this, get yourself ready. Get yourself ready ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them 
or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you and will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. He says, I'm with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you've got to be ready. Now I recognize today that Jeremiah probably didn't know everything that was going to happen to him. In fact, if you read through the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah goes through incredible things, great ordeals, great problems, thrown into a pit, thrown into a cistern, which is like a, a place where they draw water, almost like a well where water is stored, and thrown down into this thing. He can't get out. He's now probably an aging prophet when it happens, and they, nobody wants to listen to what Jeremiah has to say. Nobody wants to hear that God had a plan in store for Israel. They went against his plan. They sinned. They did their own thing. And so now God has to bring judgment. Nobody wanted to hear that kind of message. I am certain at one point, Jeremiah had no idea what it was that was going to happen. And yet, nonetheless, God is saying, you need to arm yourself. You need to prepare yourself. You need to get ready because what I am calling you to do is, and I'm going to remind you of this, is I'm calling you to proclaim a message of might. And brothers and sisters, in the day and age that we're living in, we're living in a time that is almost sim has great similarities to the time of Jeremiah. Because as the prophet Isaiah spoke, that the people call evil good and good evil, you look around you today and that's exactly what's happening. All of a sudden, sin is no longer sin. In fact, it's now the in thing. It's not the sin thing. It's the in thing. You look around in the world today and you realize there's so much violence. There's so much crime. There are so many bad things that are going on in the world. And, and we wonder, is, is, the, is the message of the gospel relevant? That's, you know, that's the big buzzword these days in churches, having a relevant message. I don't find, excuse me, throughout history where the, the Bible ever became irrelevant. I, I don't ever find where it is that somehow we just, we can't seem to, to come to Scripture and realize that, you know, it's no longer the power of God for salvation. Yes, it is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. We're living in a time, brothers and sisters, where we as men and women, people who love the Lord, are believers in Christ, we have to get ourselves ready to declare and to proclaim a message of might. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. But he says those words, get yourself ready. It is the idea here of preparing for something that you are not fully aware of all that's going to happen. And like I said, Jeremiah wasn't fully aware of everything that was going to happen to him in his ministry and as a prophet. He didn't fully understand everything. God didn't reveal to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, later on in life, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be tossed aside and left for dead on occasion. 
He didn't know all of that. But God tells him at the very beginning, get yourself ready. You know what? This also reminds us of some other places in Scripture where we're told to do that. In fact, I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, over to 1 Peter. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's go over there, and I want you to see how Peter, in fact, tells us something very similar to this. We see some other similarities in Scripture to what it was that God was telling Jeremiah, but 1 Peter chapter 1, the Bible says this in verse 13. It says this, Therefore, prepare your minds... For action. Get yourself ready. Why do we need to prepare our minds for action? Because you know what? In the end, the the battleground for your soul and for anybody's soul is not the outward fleshly part of us. It is the mind. Every sin that is acted upon begins as a temptation in the mind. Everything that you might deal with in your life begins... In the mind, prepare your minds, prepare our minds for action. Get yourself ready. Let's get ready to rumble. There's going to be action. There's going to be something that's going to happen. The enemy hates you. He doesn't want you to live a Christian life. He doesn't want you to serve the Lord. And he will do whatever he possibly can. So you've got to be ready at all times. You've got to be ready to know that the enemy will come along and he will do his best to discourage you, to bring you down, to cause you to say, what's the use? What's the point? I give up. I'm not going to do this anymore. But you've got to prepare your minds for action. We see this in other places in Scripture. You don't need to turn over there. But one one of the other places, literally, this means the idea of getting ready means to gird your loins. Other references in Scripture kind of give us a clue as to what the idea of getting ready really means. In fact, the first occurrence of this is the Passover. In Exodus chapter 12, God gave the instruction to Moses to give to the people that when they were about ready to leave Egypt, the Bible lets us know that he told the Israelites to eat the Passover dressed and ready to leave. They were to, the Bible says they were to eat it in haste. How many of you eat are fast eaters? Okay, you'd have been fine at the Passover. How many of you are slow eaters? Yeah, we're, I'm with you. I, I'd have been in big trouble. I'm like, you know, come on, give me a chance to chew my food. I'm a slow eater. And maybe that's why I eat too much. I don't know. I just, you know, you keep going, you keep going. But the Bible lets us know that, that on the, for the Passover, they were to eat it in haste. They were to be dressed and they were to be ready to move when God moved, when God said it's time to go. In the New Testament, there is another place in the Old Testament we won't deal with that. But also, there is one other New Testament place I want to take you to. And that is Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. And the Bible says this. Ephesians 6 and verse 14. The Bible says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. Notice the belt of truth. 
The belt of truth, at least for me, the belt is one of the last parts of my wardrobe that I put on. When my belt goes on, I'm for the most part ready. For most men who wear a belt, you're ready. When the belt goes on, you're ready to go. The idea here is is that the belt of truth is to be buckled around the waist. Ultimately, it is for the purpose of holding all of the armor of God on so that you can fight an enemy whose main weapon is deception. Notice, it is the belt of truth. You've got to prepare yourself with the belt of truth in the day and age that we are living in because all of a sudden now nobody believes that there is any truth. We're living in a time, brothers and sisters, where truth doesn't even exist. And it all falls under the lie that says, well, what's right for you may not be right for me. Is that really the case? You know, people say, well, you know, and they kind of go back to this, this whole idea of, you know, what's what that 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 what's right for you may not be right for me ideas you know every every road leads to god no it doesn't jesus said i'm the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father but through me he is the only way to get to god there is no other way there is no and that's why in some churches there are those who recently we just just heard about churches and and evangelical pastors who have signed a document and signed on to agree that there are some there is some truth in the Quran and even willingly are are standing in their pulpits reading from it dear god help us jesus said i'm the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father but through me you say wait a minute that's jesus who's saying it yes are you going to call him a liar and say something different Brothers and sisters, there will never be anything from this pulpit but this. Never. Never. The word of God is true. It is the truth. It is, Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to proclaim Jesus until he comes. Get the belt of truth on you because truth is what we have to gather around in this local assembly. The truth of the word of God. What God has to say is true. What God has to say is right. Now, something else that he had to do to get ready to be able to proclaim that message of might, and it was this, to stand up. Stand up. Well, for what? Well, as opposed to going with the flow. It's very easy to just roll with the crowd, isn't it? Whatever, you know, whatever the crowd's doing, that's what you do. Ever see somebody, uh, I, and, and my mind immediately goes to like a sporting event, Times past, I've been, been able to go, whenever the Red Sox were in town, of course, would go down to the south side to go see the White Sox. I mean, go see my Red Sox, play the White Sox. And, you know, at the end of the game, everybody's going in one direction. They're going down the ramp. There's those ramps that they have to exit the ballpark. And, you know, you're exiting, and then you, really, you see one or two people coming up, and there's like a throng of pre- people going one direction. You see one person going the opposite way. And they're trying to fight through the crowd and get through the crowd. And it's, it's very difficult to do because everybody's going in one direction. 
Well, the world is going in one direction, brothers and sisters, but you know what? God has called us to move in the opposite direction. He's called us to move His way, to stand our ground when everybody else decides they're going to do their own thing and they're going to have their own way, then, brothers and sisters, we have got to move in the direction that God is calling us to move in. We've got to stand up. People usually stand up for a cause. Something that is important to you will cause you to exert energy to stand up for it. One of my, uh, one of my favorite programs uh, is a reality. It, it truly is a reality show. It's not you know, one of those fake reality shows. But it's called Whale Wars. Now, I have no affinity to the whales. I, you know, I'm not your save the whales kind of guy. <clears throat> okay, but I'm fascinated by this one group of people who, at a certain time of the year, they travel to the Antarctic area, the Southern Ocean, and they travel down there near Antarctica, and they do their best to uh, spoil what it is that the Japanese whaling fleet is trying to do. There's a whaling fleet out of Japan, and they, they claim that they're collecting samples and everything for research and doing all these different things when really what they're doing is they're collecting the meat and selling it as a delicacy in Japan. And so they go down there and they fight. And these guys put their lives in danger. One of the recent, recent programs, these guys were left out in minus 35 degree weather in a little broken up raft that they use, a little boat, for hours, well over 12 hours, and were, were sitting there waiting for their boat to come back and pick them up because something had happened. They were at the, at the point of, of uh, hypothermia almost to, to death. And I thought, for whales? Seriously, you put your life in danger for a whale, and yet there are people in this world who are losing their lives on a daily basis, and they are on their way to hell. Brothers and sisters, we've got a greater cause than trying to save the whales, folks. We've got a greater cause than trying to do our best to save some kind of a you know thing that's around us that doesn't have a soul. Brothers and sisters, God has called us to stand up for the truth of His Word because there are people who need to hear it. Now, how do you stand when everybody else is sitting down? Or bowing down, should I say? When you stand and everyone else sits, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. Remember the three Hebrew boys when they, you know, the, the, that, that golden image was put up that Nebuchadnezzar had made and he gave the command. And the command was that when you hear the music, everybody's going to bow. And all of a sudden, everybody's bowing down and these three guys are just standing there. I don't know if they're looking around. They're just standing, looking. Who knows what it was that they're doing? Maybe they bow their heads and they begin to pray to the God of heaven. Say, God, we're never going to bow before this ridiculous idol that somebody made who's trying to tell us it's a God that can do something for us. No, you're the, you're the God of heaven and earth who made everything. We're going to pray to you. We're going to believe God. And, and they just stood there. You imagine, they stick out like a sore thumb. They, you can't. Brothers and sisters, when you believe God and when you stand up for truth in this world, you're going to stick out. You're not going to be popular. You're not going to be the person that everybody wants to hang out with. No. They want somebody who's going to run in the same, as Peter puts it, in the same flood of dissipation that, that they are. And the Bible says, and Peter also says it there in that, 
in, that, in his epistle, he says, and they wonder why it is that you don't do that. Well, isn't that the point? Get them to begin to wonder why. Why don't you run with the same crowd? How come you as a believer just don't, you don't go out clubbing with, with the rest of the crew? How come you don't, you, go, you don't go hang out at the bars like we do? How come you don't go and do all of those things? Why? Because you know what? God has given me something better. He's given me eternal life. And why am I going to destroy my life with that kind of nonsense, going out and doing whatever it is that I feel like doing to feed my flesh? Why in the world am I ever going to do that? Why wouldn't I serve him and stand up for him? We've got to stand up. He says to him also, he says this, you got to say whatever I command you. This is certainly not the most popular thing that somebody would want to hear. Because you read Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah's message was not a, you know, repent, God's going to bless you and give you five houses. (laughs) Repent, God's going to bless you so good. In fact, it got to the point where God said through the prophet Jeremiah, today, even if these people, even if one or two or three come and they turn and they repent, I cannot stop what it is that's going to happen now. It's gone too far. Now there has to be judgment. Now there has to be a time where these people will go into captivity And in captivity, they will learn how not to transgress. And I got to tell you that it worked. That when God did, and, and he went out there and he said whatever God told him to say, he said it in the way that God told him to say it. There were times where he actually just sort of uh, used, uh, used objects as object lessons of what it was that God was going to do. And he says, I, w- I want you to know I'm going to declare it. He was faithful to declare the word of the Lord and say whatever it is that God commanded him to say. And brothers and sisters, we cannot mess with the word of God. We have the word. We're not depending on listening to God and, and, and listening for, you know, because we have no written word. We've got the written word now. And here's the truth. So all we got to do is go to it and say, here's what God says. If somebody doesn't like the message, you can say, well, you know what? You can take it up with God. Not me. I didn't write it. It's not something that I made up. It's something that God has said. And we've got to be willing to proclaim whatever it is that God is saying to a lost and a dying generation. Yes, nobody, nobody really likes to hear about sin anymore. It's the truth. We don't want to hear that we're sinners. We want to hear that we're all good. That there's no problem within. Right? That's the modern psychology. Everybody's good. Don't say they're bad. Don't, don't mention the sin word. Don't say that. Not sinners. But the Bible said that, in fact, we are sinners and that we need a Savior. That's what Jesus is for. That's what he's all about. That's what he came to do. He came to seek and to save that which is lost, those who are sinful in their hearts, those who have given their lives, and we are all born into sin, so we all need a Savior. It's not a popular message. But as Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is still able to change a life. still able to change a life. 
This is why we've got to read the Word. We've got to get the Word down inside of us. And there is a warning in this to keep Jeremiah true to the courage that was his within the, his prom, within the promise and calling of God. It says, don't be afraid of them or I will terrify you before them. It's almost as if God would allow fear to come upon fear. Fear upon fear. That's, that's got to be an incredible experience. He says, don't be afraid of them because if you're afraid of them, then I'm going to bring more terror upon you. But instead, you stand your ground, you give your all to me, and you believe that I'm going to preserve you and I'm going to help you. And you know what? As far as we know, Jeremiah died of old age. He wasn't killed by the Babylonians. He wasn't even killed by his own countrymen who hated him. He just died of old age. He went through a lot of stuff. But you know what God did? God preserved his life. God preserved. Why? Because he was faithful to, to do what God wanted him to do. Now, there's something else that we've got to see in this, and that is that we are under God's guardianship. We're under his guardianship. Jeremiah 1 and verse 18 says, Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. How Jeremiah, how was Jeremiah able to accomplish what God told him to do in verse 17? Well, with the knowledge of these three statements, I have, I have made you, I am with you, and I will rescue you. I have made you, I am with you, and I will rescue you. The, the first idea here is that we've got to trust in our Creator. If God made you, He's able to preserve you. I realize the popular teaching today is God didn't make you. You know, you, you came from millions and millions of years of change and transition and all of that. But the Bible declares that no, we didn't come from millions and millions of years of change and transition, that God is, in fact, the creator, that he made us. And if God has made us, you haven't made anything for yourself or made yourself be anything, don't ever forget where you came from. You came from your creator. Without him, we are nothing and we can do nothing. We've got to trust in the fact that he made us, that he made us, and if he made us, he must love us. He must really care. He must really, really love His creation because the Bible lets us know that in His image He created mankind. So the great love and the mercy of God is there. But what did He make Jeremiah for this specific task? There is something that God was going to put into Jeremiah and it was this. First, He was going to make him be secure. Look at this. I'm going to make you a fortified city. So there is security there. And he says, I'm going to make you an iron pillar, which indicates he's going to give Jeremiah strength. The strength to be able to stand even when everybody else is doing something different and they're against him. He says, I'm going to make you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall. That is invincibility. And in fact, God did make Jeremiah pretty much invincible throughout his entire ministry. 
God, he was not without trouble, but God caused Jeremiah to be preserved. And he says, you know what? I'm going to preserve you. I'm going to bring, bring security to your life. And I'm going to give you the strength that you need. What God wants us all to realize is that we are all under his guardianship. You haven't escaped his attention, folks. You might be sitting here, you might be saying to yourself, God has no clue what I'm going through. He has every clue what, what it is that you're going through. He knows exactly what it is that you're dealing with today. He doesn't discard things he makes, nor does he make weak things. Say, I, I feel so weak today. God didn't make you weak. God didn't do that to you. You feel weak? It's because you're trusting in flesh. You're trusting in man. You're trusting in your own answers. You're trusting in yourself. We're going to trust in the name of the Lord our God so that there will be strength that will come to our lives because you know what? God doesn't make weak things. He helps us to be strong. There's something that Jeremiah also had to trust in, and that is that God was his companion. Verse 19 indicates, and it says, I am with you. I am with you. In other words, God doesn't bail out on you. God does not in any way bail out. He says, I am with you. This is something that Jeremiah would have to take in faith. Why? Because Jeremiah is going to stand in front of a bunch of people. He's going to preach sermons that nobody's going to listen to. Nobody walked up to Jeremiah afterwards and said, Jeremiah, will you please pray with me? We don't have any hint of that. We have no hint of, well, altar calls didn't come around until about the 1800s anyway. So, uh, you know, we, we, but, you know, we don't have a hint of, you know, all of a sudden they're just being a rush to the front to say we repent of our sin. None of that. Jeremiah was going to have to trust that when everybody was against him and nobody was with him, that he was still outnumbering those that were against him because he had God on his side. Brothers and sisters, when you have the, awa the awareness of the fact that God is with you, then there is nothing that the enemy can do to you and there is nothing that can come your way that can bring you down to the very depths. We have got to say, Lord, help me. Help me to be aware of the fact that you are with me. What did he say to his disciples right, at it, right before it was that he, he would be, you know, ascend to heaven and go up into, into the heavens? He said to them, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, guys, you're going to see me go. But I love the fact that he promised to them, I'm not going to leave you. Without, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send a comforter to you. The Holy Spirit is here, brothers and sisters, to help us to recognize that God didn't leave us. He's right here with us. I know that you can say, well, God's everywhere. Yes, God is everywhere. But you know what? You, you need to know that He is with you. This is personal to you. God is with you today. He loves you today. And He loves you so much that He says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to bail out on you. I'm not going to forsake you. I am with you. You are under my guardianship. And as such, I am also going to be your companion as well as your creator. Not only that, He had to trust in the fact that God was His champion. He says this. Also in verse 19, it says, I will rescue you. Rescue suggests that there's going to be some kind of danger that Jeremiah would have to face. Remember, this is all at the very beginning of Jeremiah's ministry. God is saying this to him. 
Jeremiah hasn't preached a, a message. He hasn't delivered a message of prophecy yet. He hasn't done anything yet. But now he is saying, I will rescue you. And God stood true to the promise that he made early in his ministry. He said, I'm going to rescue you. And each and every step of the way, God stepped up and he said, all right, Jeremiah, you're in trouble right now. I'm going to bring some help right now. And that's exactly what he did. You can trust in the fact that God will be your champion. He will come through for you every single time. If he said, I'm going to be with you, he'll be with you. But he's also not just standing there with you. You know, ever have a friend who just sort of stands there with you and they're with you, but they can't do anything to help you? You know, it's kind of like, you know, you and your two friends meet the big bully on the playground. And both you and your friend are much smaller than the bully. And the two of you together still can't beat the bully. And it's like your friend is standing there. I'm with you. I'm with you. You're like, great, but what can you do for me? Because I'm in trouble. Well, you know what? It's not that way with God. When you are standing there with God and everybody else is against you or everything else is against you, you need to know that you have everything that you need in that moment. He will come through and he will be your champion. He'll rescue you. He will help you. Now, God's promises, we will have, God promises that we will have the power to prevail. Verse 19, the Bible says this, they will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. They're going to fight against you but they're not going to overcome you. Guess what? They ain't going to win. You're going to win. God never promises that we will never experience difficulties in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Never experiences, and especially this, this man being called in, into a ministry that was an unpopular ministry to proclaim a message of judgment upon the people. Nobody wanted to hear about judgment. Who wants to hear about judgment? Still living in that kind of day. He never promises that our Christian lives are going to go without opposition. But with all of the comforts of the modern society that we have, we search for ease in our life of Christianity. But from time to time, brothers and sisters, there's going to be trouble that's going to show up at your door. It's going to come to you, but you, know, you need to know that God promises you're going to have the power to prevail. You're going to have the power to overcome. You're going to have the power to be able to defeat the enemy even though there will be a fight. And that's the first thing that God let Jeremiah in on. Guess what? They're going to fight against you. You need to know there's going to be a fight. But God says they won't overcome. God warned him of this right from the beginning. And you and I also have to be aware of this, that the Bible says that the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You do have a real enemy who is out to destroy you, and he doesn't like you, he doesn't love you, he has none of your interests at heart. The only one who does is God. And he says, won't overcome you. I'm going to keep you, I'm going to help you. How is it possible when so many people would be against him that Jeremiah would be outnumbered? That, that, that Jeremiah was, you know, everybody was going to be against him, and yet God says, I'm going to help you to overcome. Everybody's against you, and yet you're going to be the overcomer. 
It's an amazing thing. God is always for the underdog, but the underdog's got to be living for Him and serving Him. The second promise shows us how Jeremiah would come out a winner even against the odds. He says, I am with you. That's the only way you can win. You got to bring God along with you. You got to bring God along with you wherever it is that you go on a daily basis, not just a church. Make sure that you're taking God to your job. Make sure you're taking Him to your schools. Make sure you take Him wherever it is that you go, to your times of whatever it is that you do, times of fun, leisure. Make sure God's with you because you don't know where trouble may be around the next corner. And when it's around the next corner, what are you going to trust in? You're going to make sure that God is with you at all times. That is, that you're aware that He's with you and that you're trusting in Him no matter what it is that you're going through. you got to trust in Him. I will rescue you. I will rescue. Then finally, the third promise, God says this. I will rescue. Uh, He says, I will rescue you. That word rescue means to pluck or preserve, snatch away or to deliver. God doesn't leave Jeremiah hanging. God doesn't leave Jeremiah wondering what's going to happen. Now, I'm sure that when Jeremiah was thrown into that that cistern that he couldn't climb out of, in fact, the Bible says that he sunk down in the mud. He's sitting there, and it's just muddy. There was no water in it, but it was just a a big bunch of mud at the bottom. He's sinking down, and he's wondering, is this it for me? Am I done? But no, God, God wasn't done with Jeremiah, and he wasn't done because God had made a promise a long time ago that says, Jeremiah, I'm going to rescue you. I am going to be with you. Every step of the way, you need to know that I will be there, and I'm going to pull you out. God doesn't leave Jeremiah hanging. He, he states it as a definite thing. I will rescue you. Most of our lives, we're, we're spent asking the questions, when, where, how? How are you going to do that, Lord? When are you going to do that, Lord? Where is it going to happen, Lord? And you know what? In the end, all of those questions are best left just saying, Lord, uh, let me trust you. Just let me trust you. Let me believe in you. You said you're going to rescue me. You're going to rescue me. Did you notice there is none of that from Jeremiah's mouth? Jeremiah, throughout his ministry, didn't say, Lord, you're going to rescue me now? Lord, you know I'm stuck in this cistern. I can't climb out of here. It's all muddy. It's too high up there. I can't do it. When, Lord? Tomorrow? Today? What's going to happen, Lord? Most of us spend the vast majority of our time asking those questions rather than saying, Lord, let me just trust in your word. Let me believe in what it is that you have to say. Something you and I have to remember about Jeremiah and his calling. God never promised that people would believe his message. Close with this. God simply promised that he would keep Jeremiah when he was delivering that message. You see, what God wants and requires from every one of us is faithfulness. He requires faithfulness. No matter what the situation is, no matter what the problem is, no matter how difficult things are, we need to to be faithful to what God has called us to do. If there is any word that could that exemplifies his life, that shows us the life of Jeremiah, it is faithfulness. God called him to one of the most difficult tasks ever, and Jeremiah stayed faithful throughout his entire life. Nothing 
less than that will do. God sees us as people He can depend on to get the job done even when there are few, if any, who will stand with you. The Bible says, declares the Lord. That's how that, that chapter ends. Declares the Lord. You know what, brothers and sisters? In the end, that should settle it for all of us. God said it. I'm going to believe it. I am absolutely going to believe it. I'm going to trust in His Word no matter what I have to face or have to go through or have to deal with because God will preserve my life. The same way that He preserved Jeremiah. You've got to prepare yourself. We are living in a day and age and a dark day. A day where people are doing their own thing and they're calling evil good and good evil. And yet, in the midst of this day and age, Brothers and sisters, God says, you've got to get yourself ready, prepare yourself, but remember this, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to help you, and I will always rescue you, and I'll strengthen you. Can we stand to our feet today?